What's better than a college science textbook? It's Science Wednesday on the Weather Jazz Podcast. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Weather Jazz. And I am releasing this a little early for a special reason this morning. This is Science Wednesday. Welcome to Weather Jazz, a world audience podcast about anything and everything weather, science, earth science, and all the ologies that you can think of periodically, even off-topic episodes that... For no other reason, your host finds interesting. And I am your host and the creator of the Weather Jazz Podcast, Andre Berninger. I am the senior meteorologist on staff with WJW Television in Cleveland, Ohio. And this is episode number 184 for Wednesday, April 28, 2021. And a quick shout out this morning to... My very good friend and brother in the Lord, uh, Joe Bastardi. And if you want to follow him on Twitter, his Twitter handle is at Big Joe Bastardi. And I certainly recommend you to do that because he always is tweeting some interesting things about meteorology. His passion is meteorology, just like so many of us that are in this business. So thank you, Joe, for the retweet this morning. Uh, he let everybody know that we would be very soon releasing this episode and it is a little bit early today and the reason is that the storm prediction center has upped the game of the possibility of severe weather this afternoon we have that stationary boundary which is going to settle in on northern ohio and i'll cover the the entire country just in case you're listening from anywhere outside of northeast ohio and we do have podcast listeners from all over not only the u.s but all over the globe but let's concentrate on the chance of severe weather today because the spc has up to the game from uh, just a general risk of thunderstorms to a slight risk of severe weather this afternoon. So some of the dynamics have changed a little bit, and uh, there appears to be a little extra oompa to the atmosphere. Northeast Ohio is just being clipped, essentially I-77 points east, all the way to the Pennsylvania border. And it also includes western New York, south-central New York near Binghamton and Elmira, and also the northwest quarter of Pennsylvania. Now, that extends all the way down to and includes uh, the marginal risk uh, for severe weather until you get to Oklahoma. And then we have another slight to enhanced risk, Oklahoma, and an enhanced risk of severe weather from Wichita Falls, Texas, down to Del Rio, Texas, and essentially central Texas. Uh, that'll be the, the real hot spot today for severe weather. But we do have that chance for a slight risk of severe thunderstorms. Uh, for those of you who listen in Northeast Ohio and in Western New York, Northwest Pennsylvania. Now, before we get into the main topic, which we will do after the break today, I'll leave you in suspense. Uh, I want to talk just a little bit about the sun. The, the sun has been somewhat active recently. Of course, it's uh, now kind of coming out of its uh, sleep. 
uh, out of its sunspotless cycle. And we're starting to see more and more sunspots. From these sunspots, many times you will get what is known as a coronal mass ejection, CMEs for short. And if they're pointed towards Earth, usually a day or two later, dependent on the speed of the ejection, we get the northern lights possibility. Now, this is the time of year where we're starting to get less and less night, and it's a lot tougher to see the northern lights, uh, at least in the northern hemisphere. It's a lot easier now in the southern hemisphere because their nights are getting longer and longer and longer. Uh, But what I really wanted to share with you is something I'm going to post on the show notes, episode number 184 of Weather Jazz on weatherjazz.com. You're going to see a a burst, a CME from a part of the sun that has absolutely no sunspots. Now, that's kind of interesting, kind of cool. You would think that uh, that would be somewhat impossible. And yes, it is unusual, but certainly isn't rare. It does happen under certain conditions. And we are uncovering more and more information about the sun and what drives it, etc., thanks to the SOHO orbiting satellite that keeps a very close eye on things. So if you want to see what a CME and a filament loop looks like without any sunspots around, just go to weatherjazz.com, episode number 184, you'll see it. And when you look at it, you will see a sunspot. There are the really bright spots in the H-alpha, what's called the H-alpha light. Uh, You have to really reduce it, uh, obviously, to see what's really going on. And there are many filters that you can use, but for the sun, the H-alpha filter is probably the one that gives us the most information. You will see the sunspot in the upper right-hand corner, of the image and you're going to see the cme and the loop filament coming out of a part of the sun that is sun spotless really cool stuff all right when we come back from the break we will talk about the ski season and in particular maybe a few specific ski areas in the northeast in particular but the ski season of 2020-2021 coming up right after this short break Okay, we're back, and let's talk about the ski season of the 2020-2021 season. And really, it was, in terms of snowfall, a pretty decent year, not only in the Northeast, but also in the Rockies and in many of the Western ski areas, all the way up to the Canadian border and even in Canada. But obviously, we are dealing with a a different scenario with the COVID situation. I have a few highlights here from a website, vermontdigger.org. It's vtdigger.org. And they put out a great article a little while ago, and it's entitled A Brutal Year for Vermont's Ski Industry, Losses Estimated at $100 million. Now, I'm going to be tossing an awful lot of numbers coming your way, so uh, 
we'll have to wade through that a little bit. Suffice to say, though, we're still looking at a decrease in the number of visitors that went to ski areas this winter. And we can kind of break it down a little bit. There are certain aspects of the ski industry that fare just a little bit better than others. And we'll go through all of that. But um, if you want to keep a pulse on Vermont's situations and stories that are important to them, I recommend the website vtdigger.org. And a few of the highlights from this article that was put out, uh, I think, a number of weeks ago now. Uh, Let's see, this was April the 6th. And the article goes on to, to highlight a few specific ski areas, which is really just a sample of the overall ski industry health this particular year. I'm sure everybody had similar numbers but we're going to go to magic mountain and typically magic mountain limits its day pass sales to 1500 however this winter magic cut its day pass limit to 650 and the reason was to decrease crowding to allow a better margin for social distancing and to meet uh, state-set capacity regulations as well. Now, paid visits to Magic Mountain decreased by 25% overall for this year compared to years previous. But it was the food and beverage sales that typically account for a third of the resort's revenue. That dropped by 40%. And really, when you stop to think about it, that makes a lot of sense because that's where people will have a tendency to congregate, to go grab a bite to eat, go grab a hot chocolate, sit around the tables and talk. And you can't very well be socially distant, uh, distanced in that particular scenario. Well, uh, the overall ski industry in the state of Vermont was dealt a $100 million blow to the state's $1.6 billion ski industry this winter. Now, when you look at that number, $1.6 billion and only $100 million less, uh, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you break down that particular number, it starts to make sense that uh, a lot of these ski areas just had a tough time this particular year. Uh, Jeff Hathaway is the president of Magic Mountain, and he had a great quote in the article, and he says, quote, we are a community mountain people. People like to hang out and tell stories, but there were no bands, no entertainment, We did what we could, spreading things out outside the mountain, but it definitely hurt us. Good point. Again, all revolving around the food industry and and the food and the cafeterias and the the base lodges, etc. Lodging and food and beverage sales were hit the hardest inside from within the the central part or the, the inside of the ski industry overall. In fact, 
the sales were hit the hardest with a 60 to 70% decrease, respectively. Paid skier visits declined by 40%. I I know that there's an awful lot of numbers in here, but all of these numbers are down. And when you take all of these numbers aggregately, Uh, if that's a word, but if you take all of them and and basically lump them all together and look at them together, it all really starts to make a big difference. The overall ski visits decreased by only about 20%. Uh, However, uh, there were some elements of that that really stuck out. For instance, a lot of these places rely on out-of-state and out-of-country, in particular in Vermont's case, uh, Canada. Canada is a, a big customer base of the Vermont ski areas. Jay Peak is essentially right up against the Canada-U.S. border, and yet it suffered a huge decline in the number of people that visited because Canada or Canadians could not come over the border. You see, Vermont still has one of the strictest domestic travel policies in the country. And for most of the ski season, out-of-state visitors were required to quarantine for 14 days or seven days with a negative COVID test. And uh, out-of-state skiers typically account for, get this, 75% of the 4 million ski visits to Vermont resorts in a given year. So bottom line, it was a tough year for ski areas, despite the fact that there was a ton of snow. And thankfully, there was a ton of snow at these ski areas. Can you imagine a bad snow year on top of all of these restrictions? Uh, I think that perhaps some of these ski areas might have been in really, really deep financial trouble had uh, that been the case. But fortunately, the weather uh, pretty much was uh, a a great boost for the industry. And as much as it could be, given the fact that there were so many social distancing requirements and spacing requirements and all that, let's just hope that next ski season – 2021-2022 will be just as good weather-wise everywhere from the Rockies to the Northeast. We'll look at that in a few months' time, but also that all of these COVID restrictions will be evaporating and going away very, very soon as well. But of course, we are focused on springtime now, and I don't think we're going to see very much snowfall anywhere in the USA. Uh, maybe some of the higher elevations a few more times, uh, especially in the Rockies. Uh, that That is uh, fairly typical. But uh, let's uh, focus on springtime. And of course, that will be easy to do today. Once again, to recap that there is a slight risk of severe thunderstorms this afternoon, this Wednesday afternoon in northeast Ohio, east of I-77, through northwest Pennsylvania, and into the southern tier counties of New York State. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Help me to spread the word about this podcast inside your sphere of influence, just like Joe Bastardi did this morning on Twitter. Thank you very much. 
Uh, spread the word. Social media, word of mouth, any way you can think of. Email. Special thanks to all of you who continue to partner to support Weather Jazz. In Tennessee, Andrea Rich. In Florida, Bill Martin. In Ohio, Rose Moore, Christine Barnes, Will and Tonya Krause and family. Dale Osborne. And in Vermont, the focus of today's ski story, Victoria Singer. I would love to add your name to this list, and it's very easy to become a supporter. You'll find all of the links at the bottom of every episode's show notes. In this particular case, it's episode number 184. And if you have a question or a topic suggestion, I welcome your input. You can reach me at weatherjazz at yahoo.com and now also via voicemail at the Weather Jazz Podcast Audience Connect line. The number is 234-525-5888. And just off the top of my head, just wondering what would bring you back if Weather Jazz become or became rather a daily podcast Monday through Friday. What would bring you back? And if you have a specific thing that would entice you to make Weather Jazz a daily listening event for you, I'm just casually uh, looking at that possibility and considering many, many options. Also, if you're listening to Weather Jazz via one of the many podcast apps available, remember to subscribe so that you can automatically download every single episode as I make them available. By the way, if you're in the Cleveland, Ohio area, or you plan to visit, or simply traveling through, you can catch my 5 and 7 p.m. weekday weather segments on WJW Television Fox 8 or online live at fox8.com. Coming up this Thursday, that's tomorrow, if you're downloading this podcast and listening to it on a Wednesday. Tomorrow night on Fox 8 News at 6, toward the end of the newscast, we will have our summer weather outlook. How many 90-degree days will there be? Will there be a lot of severe weather? Will there be maybe less severe weather? Will there be normal severe weather Uh, type scenarios this summer. Uh, Is there one month over another that this is anticipated? These are questions that we will address tomorrow night, Fox 8 News at 6 p.m. Thursday night. And eventually, I'll have Scott Sable back on the program, and uh, two weather nerds will be hashing it out and talking about the summer weather outlook that'll probably end up being early next week and more than likely on meteorological monday okay we'll see you soon with an open line friday edition of weather jazz right here see you then weather and science across the globe the weather jazz